Welcome, everybody, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And it's weeks, we're through seven weeks of the NFL season. And we have here for you the trade episode because you know what? The Giants got a fire sale going on right now. Yeah, that's right. In the NFL, seven weeks into the season, they're basically throwing up their hands and saying, we have no choice but to do this. This after they had an off season where they doubled, tripled down on Eli Manning, tried to win. I mean, look at all the moves. Alec Ogletree, a veteran linebacker, $10 million a year, getting paid as a top middle linebacker. Nate Solder, veteran left tackle. Uh, you name it. Go down the line. Jonathan Stewart, veteran running back for $3 million. They weren't adding a lot of young, promising players who were you know, long-term pieces, building blocks for this team. That's not the, that's not the route the Giants took this offseason. They took the route of, we're going to try and take a 3-13 and team, patch it together, and be pretty good. And now seven weeks later, it's to the point where they're saying, anyone's available, come get them. Damon Harrison, you're gone. Eli Apple, you're gone. Anybody else? Who do you want over there? Oh, you want Olivier Vernon? Pay up. Oh, you want Janoris Jenkins? Pay up. We'll do it. You want, you name it, we'll do it. Right? So we're going to go over some of the guys the Giants are going to, that could be traded, or at least have value to be traded. And we'll go over some of those guys, and then I'll take your questions. Sorry I haven't done this in, in a little while. This schedule really throws you off. I mean, you know, there's it's been a, a crazy schedule, the Thursday night game, followed by the Monday night game. So long week, short week, we're all over the place. And I'm all over the place, so... I'm doing my best here, and I'm going to give a little credit at first to Dave Gettleman, right? Say, okay, you stink. You're one and six. You got to start selling off assets. Right. Okay? Get it. Right move. Finally. This is the direction the team should have taken. I, as you, If you know, listen to this, you know I've been critical of the direction the team took this offseason. Even for moves like Solder and, and Ogletree, I wasn't fully on board with those. I just thought it was a flawed approach to building a team, and now they're going to have to pay for it. So, but at least they they decided finally we're going to do it. On the flip side, you have to blame Dave Gettleman for what the heck were you doing this off season? And John Mara and ownership, what are you signing off on? You're living in Gaga Land. You need a little dose of reality, and you know what their dose of reality is right now? One in six. That's their dose of reality. And now they got to pay the piper. And by paying the piper, that means they're going to have to suck it up and try and rebuild this roster. And by doing that, the way to do it is just to compile assets, to compile draft capital. That's what this is all about, right? Pick up as much draft capital, as much uh, future assets as possible so you can be flexible, so you can make moves, so you can go up and get that quarterback. Now, it's going to be tough if uh, the Oakland Raiders, who, by the way, the Giants are tied for the worst record in the NFL, okay? Not even with the Raiders right now because they haven't played as many games, but with the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. So they're going to be in that first group, barring a, a strong finish to the season in these nine games, they're going to be in that first group in regards to the draft. But the Raiders have more draft capital than anybody. 
they have like five first round picks in the next two years or some, something like that that John Gruden's accrued by trading uh, some pretty good players. Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper. The Giants aren't trading those level guys. And we'll, we'll, we'll here, that'll lead us right into who can the Giants trade and what can they realistically bring back, right? That's the most popular question I get these days. So let's go over it. I'm going to start with Odell Beckham because you hear people say you need to clean house and get rid of everybody. So let's start with Odell Beckham and Nate Solder. These two guys just signed new contracts, right? So their signing bonuses are big. I think it's 20 it was it's 20 million for Odell and 16 million for Nate Solder. If they traded those guys, they would have to eat that right away. So that's a lot of dead money. They'd be huge cap hits. Dead money, cap hits. So let's take them out of the picture, right? It's not realistic to trade those guys on your financial ledger at this point, unless they want to be really bad again next year. And by really bad, I mean like Cleveland Browns bad. Because think about it, you take Odell and Nate Solder off the team, and I know people complain about Nate Solder, but he's still uh, probably an average left tackle. And you'll have to replace him with somebody without a lot of money and get rid of Odell. I mean, this team would be just, I mean, they make this year's team look like uh, an all-star team. So those two guys are not going anywhere at this point in time. So let's take them off the table. OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., Nate Solder. All right. So we'll start on the defensive side of the ball because those are the most likely players, in my opinion, to be traded. Next in line and most likely to be traded is Janoris Jenkins, the cornerback. Uh, he's in, he came with snacks actually in that offseason of 2016. The Giants did move money around in his contract this offseason. Uh, so they would have to, they would have a little more dead money than previously, but it's something that they could incur. It's nothing crazy. He makes 11.25 million each of the next two years, which isn't far off probably from what his market value would be if he's a free agent. So here's the deal with Janaris. I ask people around the league what they think he could approximately get. Mid-roundish pick is what I came back with. Probably somewhere in the fourth round. You probably get a fourth rounder back from him. And people are like, why? He's the number one cornerback. But there's financial considerations that go into it, right? There's off-the-field stuff that goes into it. And remember, this guy had a dead body show up in his basement. This guy didn't show up just because he didn't want to show up out of the bye week last week, last year. So these are things that other teams take into consideration. And it hurts his value a little bit. Can they trust him? Is he a, a player you can completely trust? He's the kind of guy, when things start to go downhill... Not exactly the guy that I would want to have in my locker room. He's not the first guy when things get bad that I'm confident is going to be able to hold it together. So Janaris Jenkins, probably around a fourth-round pick. Olivier Vernon, from what I hear, probably unlikely he gets moved at this point. Not that the Giants won't listen to offers. They'll probably listen to offers on just about anybody. Uh, but he comes with a big cap number. They would be very difficult to get rid of him because he is owed... Let's see. 
15.25 million, actually 15.5, 15.5 million, because it's a workout bonus. Actually, uh, so 15.5 million for two more years. He's the third piece that the Giants got in the 2016 offseason that they're now basically going to have to get rid of. So 15.5 million a year, it's not cheap. So if another team decided they did want to go the Olivier Vernon route, and don't forget, they would still have to pay the prorated balance of his uh, $12.75 million this year. So that's like $13 million, half of that. That's still another $6.5 million they need to take this year. And the Giants would take $8 million in dead money for next year if they traded him. So there's a lot that goes into this trade that make it unlikely at this point. So Olivier Vernon, again, probably if they did trade him, it would be in that same range as Janoris Jenkins, mid-roundish pick. Mid latish. So it's not like if they trade Olivier Vernon, they're going to bring back a first or second round pick. This isn't Amari Cooper on his rookie contract, not making a lot of money, who has A plus talent. Now, Landon Collins, that's a different story. If the Giants wanted to go that route, now maybe not a first round pick for Landon Collins, but he is on his rookie contract. He's available to be kept next year. Amari Cooper has a 50-year option, but Landon Collins, which Landon Collins is not. But a team will be able to keep him on a franchise tag next year, which is a likely solution with Landon Collins, which is a reasonable number, what, the $12 million range. I think you could probably get a two back at this point for a Landon Collins. So that's a decision the Giants have to make if they were offered that. Do we want to sign him long-term? Is that a commitment we're willing to make? Or do we take a second-round pick and sort of move on? Other guys that could be available, uh, you know, Kerry Wynn, B.J. Goodson, uh, Michael Thomas, all guys that would probably net late-round picks. Don't know if the Giants would do that. Uh, they really would have trouble putting guys on the field at this point. If they wanted to move guys like that, I mean, they still got to go out there and play. They have nine games left. If they wanted to move guys like that, you could always do it after the season. I don't think there's a rush to do that at this point. So... Uh, those aren't, aren't guys that people are going to ma- give you max value before the trade deadline. And let's just say this. People I know have been on the have saying they didn't get enough for Damon Harrison. That's probably around what his value was. But the only question I have is, why didn't the Giants sort of string this out a little longer? And just see. Like, when that deadline comes, the trade deadline is Tuesday. I'm taping this on Thursday. Why not wait till the last second just to see if you can maximize that value? Maybe you could squeeze another round out of it. You know, the, the Andrew Brandt, who's a sports business reporter, good one at that, he always uses the term um, deadline spur actions. So when that deadline comes, maybe, maybe it forces a team to give you a little bit more. So I think if you want to be critical of the snacks trade, that's that's your gripe. Right? Maybe we could have got more if we waited till the last second. Now the risk of that is what would have happened if Snacks gets banged up this week on Sunday? Then you get nothing for him. So those are the two sides of it. All right, let's go to the offensive side of the ball real quick. Eli Manning. Right? If they could get anything for Eli Manning, it would make sense. Now the the tricky part of this is we know Eli has that no trade clause. So any move would be his decision. And to me, the only option is the Jaguars. And right now, 
the Jaguars don't look like they want to add a quarterback. Now, let's see what happens when the Jaguars play this week. They've been terrible lately. Let's see what happens when they play this week. They play the Eagles in London. If they really poop the bed again, which they have been offensively, and Blake Bortles has, he got benched. Do they get really desperate? If there's one team out there that would maybe take Eli Manning, even if it's for a seventh-round pick, it might be the Jaguars. Otherwise, I don't see there being much of a market for him. 37, 38 years old, immobile quarterback. I mean, unless somebody goes down on a really good team with a really good offensive line, like who's going to want Eli Manning right now? The market, to me, just is not there. So even if he did agree to a trade, to being traded, wanting to be traded, I have trouble finding a spot that would say, oh, there's a good spot for Eli Manning. Because realistically, is he even going to go to Jacksonville and be successful? He's going to go to a team that's beat up on its offensive line and has no weapons, and he's going to be successful there? I'm just not really seeing that. So to me, Eli Manning is kind of stuck on the roster. They could cut him after this year. The uh, financial implications are not killer. And they can move on. He could retire. Whatever. Let's let's leave it at that for now. I mean, we really want to go over the Eli Manning thing again. Been there, done that. Been doing it all year. It's getting tired. Now, here's the other two. These are the interesting ones, right? The other two on offense that I think could be traded. Probably very, very, very long shots. But if the right offer comes around and you're the Giants... Don't you have to think about it for players like Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram? Right? Now, I know those are pieces you could build around moving forward. But they need to reshape this roster. They need to make the roster make sense. And this is part of my concern all offseason is what kind of roster are they building? Right? Are they trying to become a running team? They, they built an offensive line that was better suited towards the run. They had... Saquon Barkley, who's not a pounded runner. They had Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram, none known specifically for their blocking. So it's like, what are we trying? Nothing seemed to make sense. The pieces have to make sense. When you build a team, the pieces have to go go and fit together. So I think if the right offer came around, and for Evan Ingram, like maybe somebody wanted that dynamic tight end, you could recoup that first-round pick. I think that's something the Giants would have to think about. Sterling Shepard, if Amari Cooper went for a first, he's considered more, you know, have more talent. He was a first-round talent. People had first-round grades on him. Sterling Shepard, probably second-round pick. If you could, if they could get that, again, something I think the Giants would have to consider. Not because they're not good players. They are good players. But because this is a rebuilding team. And the Giants have to figure out a way. Dave Gettleman has to figure out a way to put together a roster, a young roster that makes sense moving forward with a new quarterback. And that's my biggest concern here with this whole Giants team in general. Are they going to be able to put this back together? They have nine picks right now next year, but just 1-1 and 1-2. So not, I mean, they have picks, but they're not loaded with premium assets. How are they going to put together a team and rebuild it quickly in time before they waste Odell and waste Saquon? 
in their best years because a running back's best years probably years two to five for Saquon. So beginning next year and Odell, I mean, he's, this is his, he's entering his prime. He might be in his prime. Say a, a prime for him is 25 to 28, maybe 30 tops. So he's in his prime. So they got to figure it out and not waste those primes. It's going to be a tough job. So collecting as many premium assets as possible should be the goal right now. And with that, on to the next one. Yes, it's my favorite time of the show. The point where I answer all your deepest, darkest, giant's questions. And you love it. Giants after dark. All right. We're going to go through a whole bunch of questions here because I haven't done this in a while. There's a reason for it. I'll explain it at some point uh, later on down the line here. But uh, in the meantime, let's let's fire away. Matt LaRoe emailed me. He said, what are the chances if the Giants lose to the Redskins this Sunday, they come out of the bye week with Kylo Letta making his first NFL start? All right, Matt. I agree. I think there is a chance that this happens. I know Kylo Letta hasn't been taking snaps. He's been mostly the uh, scout team quarterback. And the reason for that is the Giants are if, – if if they have to bring someone in mid-game, they'd, they don't want to throw the rookie from Richmond in their mid-game, right? They'd rather be – the veteran, and I use air quotes with that because he's played in one career game, but they feel more comfortable that Alex Tanny be the guy who gets thrown in, you know, into the fire mid, mid game and, uh, has to kind of suck it up in, in that scenario and has a better chance for success. So if, but, but if something happened to Eli Manning or if they decide to make a move, it's going to be to Kylo Letta, right? He's the fourth rounder. He's the guy who they drafted who this new regime liked enough to invest in. So they liked enough that they cut Davis Webb for him. So Kylo Lett is the guy. So I think it's possible if, if the offense again, you know, poops their pants against the Redskins. And look, we've seen a lot of poop in their pants this year from the Giants offense. And, the frustration level reaches, you know, level 12. I think that Pat Shermer has to go in there. And if the, the, the receivers and the skill players, the playmakers on the Giants are just fed up and don't think the quarterback is playing at a high enough level and it's holding them back, I think even though Kyle Oletta is probably not going to make a huge difference, he kind of has to go that direction in order not to lose that locker room for the final eight games of the season. So I think there's a good shot that if the Giants play really poorly offensively this week, that after the bye week you'll start seeing Kylo Letta get, Kylo Letta get ready. If not playing Monday night against the 49ers, within a few weeks after that. So thanks for the question, Matt. Let's go to T. Ward 47. He sent this the previous week, uh, and he said, Question for the podcast. 
Do you actually think they'd be a better team with a young QB right now? I think that's just BS. Eli doesn't give a damn anymore. He's playing horribly. I agree. But this with this old line, do you honestly believe they'd be a better offense without Saquon and still the horrendous run and pass blocking? I think a young QB, they'd similarly be one and five, two and four, which in this case is now one and six, two and five. Right now in reality. Russell Wilson has a terrible line. He looks like crap, and he certainly can move. Well, let me just say this. Russell Wilson has, I think, twice as many TD passes as Eli Manning, okay? So Russell Wilson's looking like crap is not the end of the world. Uh, I think Eli Manning has seven TD passes through seven games. And let me look up Russell Wilson real quick. I believe he has 12 in six. So big difference. He has 13. 13 touchdown passes and four interceptions. So he basically has twice as many touchdown passes. Okay? And that's a big difference because you know what the key to this game is? Scoring points. And, what? no, are you talking about a young quarterback like Kylo Leto? Of course not. He won't make the Giants better. But I think he what it, will do, what it would do to have him in there is, A, you'd get a look at him. You'd see kind of what you have. So, I mean, look, I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form that should prevent the Giants from drafting, signing, whatever they need to do to fix that quarterback position. But it'll give the players on the field also the belief that, hey, we can actually make some plays, that if the timing of a play is not thrown off immediately, that he could still move around the pocket and occasionally make a play. And I think that would give the, the offense a little hope moving forward here for the rest of this year. And no, it wouldn't change their record much. They would still be a bad team. Although if they did have Russell Wilson, the Giants wouldn't be one and six. Let's be honest. No chance. What are, what are the uh, Seattle Seahawks right now? They're three and three. And they're not a very good team around them in any way, shape, or form. And he doesn't even, he certainly doesn't have anywhere near the weapons that the Giants do. If Russell Wilson had the weapons the Giants did, They'd have one in the t- they'd, they'd be in the top ten in offense, easy. I really be, do think that his ability to run around and make plays with those weapons they they'd put up a, they'd put up a good amount of points and yards consistently. So, all right, Keith Gingay. I, I don't know. I'm probably sorry. I've just butchered your last name. He says this is from uh, earlier this month. Meant to write about it. Earlier this week, through five games, Eli Manning doesn't look like a guy who's on the back nine of his career, but more like a guy who's teeing off on 18. Although he's played well statistically, he doesn't look like the two-time Super Bowl MVP the Giants were banking on. The future of the QB position as it currently sits is non-inspiring. Assuming change doesn't happen in 2018, draft picks aside, should or will the Giants kick the tires on Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater or another free agent, Joe Flacco, question mark, in the offseason? Uh, yeah, I do. I think Teddy Bridgewater is the kind of guy that would make a ton of sense for the Giants. You're talking about a guy who could – think about how enticing it would be for Teddy Bridgewater. Hey, come here. Be our bridge quarterback. Start. One-year deal. We'll sign you to a one-year deal. But you then get to play with these weapons and prove to the rest of the league that you're worth that real big money contract. And for the Giants, it makes sense. They could draft a guy, have him come up, you know, have him and Loletta behind Bridgewater, build him, try to build them up, and at the same time, they could see maybe they hit gold with Bridgewater. Maybe they end up keeping him. Who knows? So that is the kind of move I do, I do think makes a lot, a lot of sense for the New York Giants. All right. So 
Next question. Kenneth Antigua says, please convince me that after the recent fire sale that signing OBJ was a solid move as it relates to winning while he's productive. Okay. I'm going to put on my positive, uh, optimistic hat over here, right, Kenneth? And say, okay, the Giants are going to draft a quarterback. They're going to they'll probably end up, let's say, with the seventh pick. They're going to draft a quarterback. They're going to move up. They're going to draft a quarterback. They're going to get their Carson Wentz. He'll go through his growing pains as a rookie. The Giants will go 7-9. and nine. And year two, guess what? The Giants are going to have a quarterback ready to break out. Odell Beckham at, what, 27 years old. And there you go. Off we go. I'm not saying the Giants are going to Super Bowl, but they're going to be a good team. They're going to be a competitive team. So that's the, that's that's how I'm going to sell you on this. Right? Here's the problem. Is the Giants should have done it this year, and then they would have signed him this summer, and then by the next year, which is really year two of his deal, they would have been ready to go. Instead, you got delayed, and now you're at least in year, you know, at least in year three, and maybe who knows, and then if you don't pick the right guy, then yeah, I'm sorry, then you wasted it. But we're going to be optimistic and say they hit it, move forward, and, ne- and not not next year, not 2019, 2020. Giants are ready to roar. Uh, next question is Andrew at DataShark112 says, question part number one is, who is most responsible for misevaluating the roster so badly this offseason? Gettleman, leftover front office staff, Mara, or combination? Well, they are a team, so it's got to be a combination. But ultimately, when it comes to the roster, that's Dave Gettleman's job. So to me, Dave Gettleman is at the top of the list of misevaluating the roster. Now, if you want to say the Giants and the and ownership have would had I wouldn't they didn't push anybody to keep Eli Manning. But did they maybe prefer that they keep Eli Manning? I think that would that's fair to say. They probably preferred uh, the new regime coming in and saying, Eli Manning, let's, we think he has more left. Let's try and get something out of it, turn around quickly. And then, what kind of candy do you give out on Halloween? Uh, now, you know, things change over the years. This is a good question. So now they have like the mixed bag, right? Like you could just basically buy a bag and it's a mix of everything and you put it in there. And that kind of satisfies everyone. That, that's the best solution. Because, you know, people have allergies. They're allergic to everything these days. So I'm allergic to sugar. I'm allergic to chocolate. I'm allergic to peanut butter. I'm allergic to dust. I'm allergic to females. You know, you name it. People, they're allergic to everything. I don't like this. I don't like that. So if you get the, the variety bag, you kind of... Hit everybody up. The only problem I have is that the variety bag, I like gummy stuff. I like dots. I like jujubes and stuff. Those are kind of been phased out. You don't see them much anymore. That's disappointing to me. Now, if it were me, my number one thing is I would just give out the Reese's, anything Reese's. Like peanut butter cup, number one candy. Don't at me. Don't talk to me. The Reese's peanut butter cup kicks the, kicks everyone's butt. You know, that's the, that's the A number one. To me, anything with chocolate and peanut butter is, is just amazing. But also, from a selfish perspective, and I'm usually I'm a pretty selfish person. If you know me pretty well, uh, I, I you know I'm I think about myself and my family first. That's what I do. We, me and my daughter, we love the Reeses. So if you give out the Reeses, if you put out all the Reeses, they're gone. Then you don't get to eat the leftovers. 
So I'm a little, sometimes a little hesitant to put out the Reese's. You keep them in the back row, just in case. So to me, you know, you use those last. So, oh, the Reese's are all left over. Great. So now you have all your candy left over. And look, you got uh, all these Reese's, and that's what you want to eat. So I'm always thinking in that, in, in that way. Maybe it's that I'm a bad person, but hey, you know, you do what you got to do. All right. Next question. Mike D. Mount DNYG says, can you explain why Curtis Riley was kept on this roster and made a starter? There's no way he's better than Thompson. That's Darian Thompson and or Adams, Andrew Adams. Uh, yeah, good point, Mike D. I, I don't disagree with your assertion, but you have to understand this is what's going on right now. There is a pretty clear divide. Okay. You're a Dave Gettleman, new regime guy, and you're an old, you're an old Jerry Reese. You know, Ben McAdoo guy. And it's pretty clear Darian Thompson, Andrew Adams, they were on the Jerry Reese side. And Curtis Riley, who remember, should have, we should have known at the time, the Titans didn't even want to resign him for minimum value, minimum contract. So they let him walk at minimum contract. So you kind of, you kind of get what you pay for with Curtis Riley. It was strange, I get it. And also, Darian Thompson, he had a hamstring injury. That kind of really eliminated any sort of competition this summer. And that left, uh, and Andrew Adams, they just, for some reason, just never gave a shot. So, but he was on the wrong side of the fence. You want to be one of the new regime guys. I mean, look, Dante Dion wasn't, and now he's on the street too. So, uh, the king of, I never know how to pronounce this guy's uh, handle. So I'm just going to call him at G-Men. Couldn't the Giants have just added more to offensive line and changed QBs in offseason rather than do a full teardown? Um, yeah, I mean, that's possible. But, again, that's like putting a Band-Aid on, on, a, on a gaping cut that needs stitches. Like, at some point, you're going to have to do the full teardown. It should have been... I've been I've been preaching this forever. I mean, come on. Think about this for a second. Step back. Take out all the names, all the faces. New coach. New GM. Number two pick. Three and 13. That's the time for the total teardown. Common logic. Very simple. Should have been this year. Now you got to pay the piper, pay the price, and do it now next year. And so now you're, when they're going to be good? The year after that? Two years down the line? Three years down the line? They don't find a quarterback? Ten years down the line. They, at least if they pick the wrong quarterback, I should say. So, yeah. It, it's just, just the way it is. So, uh, you gotta do it. You can't just, you can't just keep band-aiding the stuff up. Hatesh at HP68508 says, why doesn't anyone say anything bad about Eli? I know he's a class act as a player, but his time is coming up and it shows. How can so many smart people in Giants don't want to plan for life outside of Eli? I'm assuming you mean by why does anyone in the organization not want to say anything bad about Eli? Uh, because he won two Super Bowls for that team. Uh, and the Giants are a loyal organization to the guys that are legends. And Eli Manning falls into that category. And they're hanging on to him too long. And you can make the argument they probably... 
maybe hang out to hang out to Tom Coughlin too long too, right? It was getting bad. They were they were going in the wrong direction. Things were falling apart. I mean, the Odell thing happened under his watch eventually. The Odell Norman thing. Uh, so you know, it's hard to move on from legends and make those difficult moves in the end, and that's the problem here. And they just, uh, you're right. It's it's pretty unbelievable how no one will really say when he's even playing poorly. And I agree with that. But outside, I think uh, people have come around and they know it just takes a long time. He's in the, you know, football's first family, I think, helps. I mean, nobody wants to – it feels like the, the old football cognizanti doesn't want to uh, criticize, you know, uh, the Mannings. I mean, they've, they've been really good, great – I shouldn't even say good. They've had great, great careers. I mean, they've done great things. They've been great quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, but the time now has come, and Eli is on the way out. So, yeah. Uh, last question, all right? Jonathan Stewart, life coach. That's the guy's hand. Uh, that's what it says on his Twitter. Uh, at Saquon's Mentor. Says, is Shula gone after this year? Shula, Mike Shula is the offensive coordinator. Maybe Stefanski for OC. Uh, I, I won't, I don't think so. I don't see that at this point because, uh, look, they're looking at it as this is year one of a, of a long-term thing that they're not going to just pull the plug and they're going to say, okay, we got to, let's get a new quarterback in here and work from there. And the thing with Stefanski and he's the Kevin Stefanski, he's with the Vikings is, I think he's going to – you know what? I'm going to take this back. I'm going to say, you know, that is possibility. Because Stefanski, if he can get out of his deal, I thought – I was thinking for a second he could get a, a better job. But the Giants with Odell Beckham and a new young quarterback with Pat Shermer might be a pretty darn good job for him. So, you know what? Stefanski makes some sense. It does put Shula in trouble. I, I, I do think that, and now that I rethink that. I had a, had a few seconds to kind of contemplate that, so that's where I stand on that. And that's it for this version of Giants After Dark, where I answer all your deep and darkest Giants questions. On to the next one. All right, we're going to end on that note. I'll give you a little quick Jordan on the beat. We did go to Atlanta this week, and we played some golf, and I had our my match with Matt Lombardo, NJ Advanced Media's beat Giants beat writer. And uh, I beat him, right? Uh, it was ugly. It was terrible. We were all just pathetic. Uh, Pat Leonard was actually in on the action, kind of. He actually won. We were all over 100. It was a disgraceful showing of golf. And uh, I'm embarrassed to even say I really won. But the real moral of the story here is the original bet – was that you know? Hey, we'll go play golf, and uh, I'll give you guys strokes because I'm usually I'm usually like what low nineties, play way better than that. And, uh, and Matt said he's mid nineties, so I said, Matt, I, you know, fine, I'll give you three or so. And uh, he let his ego get in the way. This is the moral of the story: don't let your ego get in the way. If someone's going to offer you strokes, you take the strokes. I think he ended up losing by three. I was going to give him three. So never, never don't take the strokes. Who cares about the ego? If someone's willing to give you strokes, you take them. It increases your odds of winning. And I'm all about winning. I'm a winner. 
Or at least I try to be a winner. You want to be a winner at everything you do. You don't go and try and lose. No, 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 no. not going to take your strokes. I don't want your stinking strokes. You'll never hear that out of my mouth. I take strokes. You offer them, I take them. Any day of the week. Twice on Sundays. And on this Sunday, cost Matt Lombardo. So with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Make sure you reach out to me, Twitter, email, Instagram, Facebook. I'll try and answer all your questions here on the Breaking Big Blue podcast. I'm Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time.